Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about Luke chapter 5 and as has become our custom to sound like a biblical writer, I'm going to read you a couple of the comments that we're, we're getting uh, on these previous days. Uh, Emily Burcham in day 3, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 3. She says, John seems so significant. There is one prophesied about who would prepare the people for the coming Messiah, one who would prepare the way for the Lord. John being that one, seeing what he did, what he preached and taught seems to be so significant, a baptism of repentance and bearing fruit that is worthy of repentance. These two things were of great significance to the one person who made way for the Lord, absolutely. And uh, I love, I love uh, that God, God loves His creation in in a broad sense. That that everybody is made unique. We are all special in His sight, and yet even in that uniqueness, there are people throughout redemptive history that were made for very unique purposes. Mm-hmm. And that should not, you know, cause us to say, well, I, I guess I'm less than or any of those things. There are just unique and special set apart people for certain purposes. And I think yes. that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. I think if we, if we miss that, or we think that, uh, maybe we're less than because we're not uh, uh, we we are we are set aside for our own special things, I think, in a, in a sense. But it's uh, it's not a matter of more or less who is better or worse. It's just a matter of uh, God calls whom He will. Yes, and 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 those purposes are unique to His plan. He's got something going on there. I think one of the other ditches that we can fall into, of course, in that is um, in this truth that God makes every creation, every, every individual unique, um, to believe that somehow we must hold some, uh, just to get, use an example, some Davidic purpose or some John the Baptist-like purpose. No, there's a, there's a lot. The far majority of people, um, we've talked about this in the past, the far majority of people uh, will be forgotten in the annals of time. Mm-hmm. That's not to say God doesn't deeply love them. Mm-hmm. It's it's just how this plays out. I think we I think we stress individualism and and uniqueness and and being special to another uh, to a degree that it takes us into another ditch. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. a point. Josh Peace chimes in and he kind of says something that that uh, I think deserves a response. He says um, one one verse that caught my attention that I thought was cool was how it says the Holy Spirit came in bodily form. Just curious what that would have looked like. So you have God who came in human form, and now you have his spirit also that came in bodily form. Now, the text does say that the that you know, the spirit descended in a bodily form. Now to answer the question in maybe a cheesy way, what would that have looked like? A dove. That's what it says. (laughs) Um, It looked like a dove, but it is intriguing to see when we make these distinctions of, uh, of God in his, in his three persons, you know, in, in this different, uh, these different aspects, um, that even the spirit in this place comes in a physical form, mm-hmm. or at least it appeared in a physical mm-hmm. form, so embodied, if you will. Yeah. So I that, don't know what that does. That's an interesting thought and an interesting uh, question. Uh, I, I I know we think about the spirit of God, and we when we think about the things that may signify the spirit, we think of the fire and sometimes water and sometimes all of those things. And some of those things are uh, we've talked about before. I think are are signifying something that they looked like. So, for example, let me give you an example of one that I think that that uh, I, I just read about recently was on the day on the day on the day of Pentecost when the spirit it said uh, f- fell on them and it looked like tongues of fire. Well, in the ancient Hebrew language, it was they they wrote in pictographs. So it was a picture that just that that was that would describe what it looked like. So when the spirit, that picture was a man's head with a flame of fire on top of it. So 
if you see the correlation between the way that they wrote, the language that they used, the ancient Hebrew, and how that would have played out in how the Spirit was described. So I don't know if that helps or makes it It, even more confusing. It does paint the picture, though, that over and over in Scripture we see this we see this language that says it was like it was like yes. it was like and all of that is designed it it's all designed to uh, by another act of grace in my opinion of god to help us picture what is happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it, it sometimes we can get a little too literal with those things and then we we begin to fight over things that are not sure, worth fighting sure. over so well, uh, those are some great comments, and of course, we want to hear more on those. I, I'm looking forward to some that, that are already posted for the days uh, ahead, So, um, and we will be dealing with each of those comments. We'll be deal- dealing with comments from previous days on each podcast. So without further ado, we're jumping into Luke chapter 5, and it's amazing because we're dealing with the calling of the first disciples so it's pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. What what's something that stands out to you? Well, I think first of all, I think the that the the, the fame of Christ had spread so much. That there again, he was in a highly populated area. We talked a little bit about that on yesterday's podcast. Uh, uh, in an area where people wanted to see and hear him, and says in the the very first verse says the crowd was pressing around him, listening to the word of God. That that is that's that's quite an amazing uh, picture that Luke presents with these words, pressing around him, listening to the word of God, uh, and uh, he was he's standing by the it's, it says the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of uh, Galilee. It's another yeah. term for that sea, but he he and then he sees two boats, and he just he goes and gets in one of the boats. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like. Uh, uh, wow. That, so he just, it, it was a practical way for him to get away from the crowd enough to where everyone could see and hear him at the Absolutely. same time. So uh, Luke, again, painting these details, the Lake of Gennesaret, uh, it, it's actually a uh, kind of a populated area on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. So it was it was then able to be called the Lake of Gennesaret, but we're de- we're dealing with the Sea of Galilee here. Um, I believe in the Old Testament, it's it's spelled uh, Chenesaret or something mm-hmm. like this, but we see we see things like that uh, throughout the Old Testament. Um, I do like the foreshadowing of verse two. He says he saw two boats, and the reason why I draw that uh, up as foreshadowing is because when the miracle catch happens in just a couple of verses, they're going to need both of those boats exactly. to they take care help. to take care of what's going on. So, so even those little details, Luke is a Luke is a great writer. He is he is painting the picture for us very clearly. So these two boats, Jesus is out. He is. Um, it says here that they were pressing again around him, listening to the word of God. Now that that phrase is interesting because the expression is used so many times throughout the the scriptures. I, I think one thing that I would point out with that them pressing pressing to hear the word of God is what you just pointed out, which is there there's an excitement or an enthusiasm. The next thing is that when we when we uh, throw out this phrase, we say, uh, we need to trust the word of God, and we're referring to the Bible. Uh, they, they, they might not have seen it exactly that way, but we do see it in Scripture that they viewed Scripture as the word of God. Yes. So that's where we get those concepts. But this, this phrase, word of God, is an expression that if we took it if we took it more literal, if it was translated in a more, um, just a very stale rigid way it would it would it would say something more like the word that comes from god mm-hmm. you know it would just it would be really rigid but it, the word that comes from god and so um this says something of of the people's view of jesus and that was that he was to them some sort of prophet who was delivering the word that comes from god that mm-hmm. was a job mm-hmm. of prophets and so so first we have we have this this pressing to hear the words that come from God. And um, Jesus wants to get out from the people 
it doesn't say he's trying to run away from them. He's actually trying to teach them, but it's really getting complicated with all these people pressing They're in. Right up against him. And then... Yeah. And so, so in verse three, it says, so he got into one of the two boats that were there mm-hmm. because the fishermen are washing their nets and it happens to be Simon's. And I think, I think the reason for this is because what, what then follows is, and we see this in Mark's gospel as well, we see this stress of this person, Simon, as leader of the apostles, as he's he's a he's a very key character, mm-hmm. right? Whether or not we should view him too highly is is another matter, and it has been a matter throughout church history. But so he gets in Simon's boat and he asks him to put out a little way from the land, and he sits down and he begins to teach. And something that I shared yesterday on the podcast, uh, this was common when in the in the synagogue, they would stand up to read the word of God and they would sit down to teach it. And we see Jesus sitting to teach constantly. Mm-hmm. There, I don't know if that's a, a, a sign of patience and care and affection, but Jesus mm-hmm. does it repeatedly. Yeah. So. You know, what the, one of the most notable things that I, that I see in this is, in, and you talked about, about the word of God, at this point, Jesus doesn't doesn't seem they don't say he doesn't have a scroll in his hand. So when when Luke says that they're listening to the word of God, Luke for sure gets that that the words that Jesus spoke are going are, are the words of God. It's it is interesting to note because the scrolls the 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 first five books of the old of the Old Testament would have been kept in the synagogue, would have been kept there. So they he didn't have these. So it is very, very interesting. He's teaching, but he's teaching from what he's teaching. It's his teaching, and it is the Word of God. Yeah, I think this uh, continues to illustrate another phrase that we see throughout Luke's account, and that is that he spoke as one with authority. Mm-hmm. There is a view... Uh, that when Jesus speaks, he doesn't always say, and Moses says. He says, and I say, verily, verily, I say unto you. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, a, um, it's an authority, and he is speaking as God, and he's speaking the word that comes from God. And so, so they get into Simon's boat, um, and they put out a little way from the land. He sits down, he begins to teach them. Verse 4 says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answers and says, Master. Hmm. And I think that was the next piece for me that really kind of stood out because we're we're dealing right now with the calling of mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. 12 now here this is just intriguing in in the language um the term uh, the the um the title master for jesus according to luke's writing is something that only the disciples call him mm-hmm. everybody else will mm-hmm. call him um in in mark's gospel they'll call him rabbi in in uh in luke's gospel the other people like the pharisees might call him teacher but it's an exclusive thing that these people would say to him master mm-hmm. and it's not just the 12 it would be those who would follow him mm-hmm. they would refer to him as master and so right here he says master we worked hard all night why has he started here he's we're mm-hmm. we're we're still waiting for the call yeah it it is very it is very interesting one of the things that i noted in here is that the word the greek word that he used for master was one that is exclusive to luke and in, in, uh, all the other ones are, are a different Greek term. That, that term was epistata, which meant, which meant commander, leader, or boss. It would have been, in, in, our, in our English language, it would have been equivalent to those terms. So it is very interesting. Peter knew uh, right up front, here is a man that comes and gets into his boat and says, Hey, I, he gets into his boat seemingly without asking and tells him to put out a, a little way from the land. And then when the, they're done and everything's, he's, he's, Hey, go out, you know, put out in the deep water. Let's go catch some fish that it's very interesting. And, and, and 
Peter views him as master, leader. Yes. It, it's, it, it is, it's just an amazing uh, picture that Luke paints here with his words. Yeah. We see again, you know, in Luke 8, Luke 9, uh, Luke 17, we're gonna, we'll get into those much later. But again, all of these places, the disciples, the people who are following him, they recognized him, like you said, they recognized him as this master, this, this figure. And so there's something unique or interesting about that, right? So Simon answers him and says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Um, many read this as some sort of defiance on Peter's part, but you just have to read the rest of the sentence. Yes. Peter is not actually, he wouldn't call somebody master, defy them, and then say this. He says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. There's another way to read this, the um, a literal rendering, which would have been Peter saying, but upon your word, yes, I- I'll do it. I'll, yes. I'll do what you asked me to do. So so it's not just a unique term, not only the unique term in Luke's specific writing, a unique term among the disciples, but it is a unique view in which upon meeting Jesus, yes, Peter is obedient. Yeah, yeah. The That's staggering... an amazing thought. It's a, it, and, and Peter being a, a pro at what he did, I mean, that's what he did. He could have said, look, I, I'm... Uh, we, I've, we've fished all night. I'm tired here. Yeah. I, we, I'm the professional exactly. here. Exactly. Nighttime is the best time to fish, Jesus. So we're not going to put out in the daytime. He could have said, uh, hey, we've already washed the nets. You know, we've already, <laughs> yeah. we've got all this done. But he, he does as Jesus has said. I think it's very interesting because it makes me hearken back to the times that Jesus is telling Peter to do this or that. And, and, and he does, at, at your word, I'll do as you've asked me to do. That is, that's an amazing thought because we see that, that that just gets stronger and stronger. And Peter, in, he doesn't even probably at this point, doesn't even realize the weight of what he has just said. But I think it probably comes back to him many times later. And this is one of those... Um hidden or not so clear points of reference to Jesus's divinity. We, we know the theological truth throughout the scripture that it is at the word of God, all things are made. And Peter's acknowledgement of Jesus is at the word of you, my master, I'll do whatever you say. There, there is a hidden theological piece there. Not it's, It doesn't take, you know, some sort of special insight. I'm simply drawing a parallel to say, God creates everything through his word, and Peter seems to say, if you say it, I'll do it. Yes. Powerful, yeah. right? So so this story keeps unfolding, and, and he says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and... Um, and of course, the you know the Bible app that I'm using just decides to go on the fritz here. But mm-hmm. it says they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners. Here's that here's that boat that we needed foreshadowed uh-huh. yes. before, right? <laughs> they needed their partners in the other boat. Uh, you know, they signaled for them to come over and to help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now, uh, before we get to Peter's response to this, uh, what, what theologians would call a theophany, this moment of God, this, this miraculous moment of God, before we get to the reaction, uh, it, it, this is an interesting thing, that we have a spiritual foreshadowing of what's about what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men in just a few verses. I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to leave your nets, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And when Jesus sets out to to catch the literal fish for Peter and his uh, compatriots here, they catch a massive amount of fish. And the day of Pentecost arrives, Peter stands up Mm -hmm. in front with the 11, they preach, and a massive amount of people are added to the church that day. There is a spiritual parallel that is happening here that God is saying, I'm going to make you this, and it's going to have the Mm -hmm. same uh, it's going to produce the same fruit mm-hmm. that you see in this in this fashion. It came to pass exactly as Jesus said it would come to pass. 
it, it, and it, it, isn't it amazing that Jesus took the, uh, the very practical thing of what Peter was doing? I mean, he, that's what he did. He fished. And, 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 and uh, you know, here, here's what I, I think. I think, okay, if, if, I, if, I, if I were writing this or if I were kind of directing this, I would say, now let's have Jesus do some miracle where he is, he uh, walks out over on the water instead of getting into a boat, instead of making this guy catch Who a bunch of fish. Who cares about fish? So I think there's something to be said about the practical thing. I, fishing at that point was important, especially to these guys. It, that was how they, how they made their life. And Jesus did something he directed their work. He, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't necessarily a fisherman, but he directed their work, and it turned out quite well, actually. Well, so that's, there's something there. Through, throughout the text of Scripture, we see these amazing images uh, that of, if, if Jesus is going to be compared to anything, he would be a shepherd. Yes. Um, but notice this. Notice the mercy of God. Notice the compassion towards the people he's calling. He does not go to Peter and give him an illustration of something he knows nothing of. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you a shepherd of men. Peter is a fisherman, so he says, let's use your world. Yeah. And Absolutely. I think that that's an amazing thing. This is this is this is the care of God to look at the the life you live, to look at the world you're in, and to say, okay, let me let me tell you what's going to happen. And so we could, of course, uh, we could, of course, draw some parallels to today and and ask ourselves, so what what are we doing? Maybe you're a nurse, and God says, good, I'm going to I'm going to send you not to care for the sicknesses of the world per se, but I'm going to send you to care for the people who have those sicknesses. Yeah. It, it's just a way that he cares awesome. for us, right? And so so this story goes on, and Simon Peter's reaction, of course, is amazing. Yeah. Because at this, at this moment, at this amazing act of God, Peter uh, falls down at Jesus' feet. And, and the literal translation of that is actually he falls down at Jesus' knees, yeah. um, uh, which, is, which is an interesting picture because, remember, they're in a boat. <laughs> yes. So he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, uh, we probably should unpack that just a little bit, but, mm-hmm. but um, I, I didn't know this. I was, I was studying this uh, in times past, and I think it was in 19, the 80s somewhere, in the 80s somewhere, archaeologists had discovered in the Sea of Galilee um, a either a sunken or a mud-covered boat from the time of Jesus, okay? Oh. And the boat was... I can't remember. The, the boat was long. It was, it was bigger than most of our, you know, it wasn't a bass boat. Okay. So, <laughs> so you're dealing with something that's like, you know, 20 or 30 feet long or something like this. And, um, it was, it was as wide as wide as, or wider than most trucks that we would see today, mm-hmm. which means that there is a lot of, there, there is a very clear likelihood that, that Peter is not uh, out of balance on this boat. He can kneel down, he can fall at the knees right, of Jesus, right. and he can be in awe of Jesus. So I just think that that's a pretty, um, pretty amazing picture, and I, uh, I'll find that reference mm-hmm. maybe sometime. But the point still remains that Jesus or Peter falls at the knees of Jesus, and he says, Go away from me, Lord, <laughs> for I am a sinful man. And then verse 9 kind of opens all of this up, for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Mm -hmm. So now we're actually getting the story of there were more people in this boat when he calls Peter's boat out. Mm -hmm. But then he says, "And, and Jesus said to Simon, I love this, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men." The, the natural reaction of Peter is, depart from me, I am unworthy. Yes. This, yes. He's, there, there is nothing in this story that would make Peter think, oh man, he might know of my hidden sin. <laughs> the, yes. He uses the word sinful, but it is a, it is a common phrase that would say, I am unworthy 
of this power, mm-hmm. of this moment here. And and yet Jesus comforts him and says, actually, don't fear. Yeah. Don't fear, I've got a plan. That is amazing. The, 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 the very line, it, it, I think, uh, first of all, the amazement piece was one that would... Uh, he, Jesus has just prior to this healed Peter's mother-in-law. So I, I, I would think that, that, that there's, there's got to be, I mean, that if I'm sure he probably knew that by this point, there's some amazement going on. I mean, he's probably heard of this and then he goes in and, and one of the things that, that, uh, that I, that I looked up in that do not fear it, it, Jesus, it, it, they, they they had have rendered it literally translated stop being fearful is what Jesus told it was present tense right stop being fearful from now on don't be fearful and 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 it is amazing to me the wording that Christ used because he he had other plans he had, and uh, I I it, what comes to mind is I I think that Jesus probably, Peter probably didn't have a lot of issues with fear necessarily. He seemed to be a very bold man. He seemed to be a, 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 a man we know that we, we know plenty of stories about him, you know, uh, cutting off the servant of the high priest here when Jesus was about to be uh, taken, taken uh, for, uh, to jail. I, I, so I, I, I don't know that fear was something that was probably common for him, but Jesus saw exactly what was in his heart and saw and and the amazement and also James and John. It's, it says they were all amazed. They were partners with Simon Peter. It's just an amazing picture that Luke paints. And I, I agree, there's very little... I, I, Luke does a great job. He, he, he is a writer and a writer's writer and he really, really paints you a a picture of, of what's going on here. Yeah. Just an amazing story. It, it's very vivid and it would appear that um, that Peter, in view of the the working of God, and I think we would all agree we we would find ourselves in this place at the working of God right in front of us and the calling of God for this unique and special purpose of being one of the twelve. Uh, it would it would cause you to mm-hmm. to stop dead in your tracks, and yet the loving nature of Jesus is to say, "I don't want you to live in fear in this. I don't want you to fear in this. I'm actually going to make you for a purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a purpose." So then, verse eleven, uh, and and I think verse eleven, in conjunction with the other gospel writers, including Mark and Matthew, really puts this story into perspective. It says, "When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and yeah. followed him." Um, Mark's gospel records them leaving uh, James and John's father, Zebedee, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. So they they leave him. Um, Matthew 4.22 has them immediately leaving the boat and their father and following him. Luke simply points out that they left everything. But I think when you put those together, you actually see um, a literal willingness to leave Everything, mm-hmm. even dad. Yeah, sitting well, back. Somebody there, had to stay behind with the fish. Right, right on, right on. <laughs> somebody has to sort that out, but uh, otherwise it'll stink. It. There's, a There's lot of King fish James. To be okay, so but um, <laughs> but but the idea here is that the way Luke would record this is that in view of this amazing uh, call and moment. They are all in yes. for Jesus. Yes. So then, uh, then verse twelve it turns into uh, the story of a leper and a paralytic, and we're just going to kind of walk through this. It says in verse twelve, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. Uh, scholars are uh, are up in the air on this that they view this leprosy here. I, I don't know because later. It seems really clear when Jesus says, go before the priests and do the normal ritual for cleansing. Um, scholars want to debate that this leprosy was some sort of eczema or psoriasis or something because 
and here's they they're not just making this stuff up. They they've got a reason behind it. I'm just not sure I see their reasoning as sound. And that is that um, if it were true leprosy, they were according to Levitical law, they were outside of the camp. You didn't do this mm-hmm. until you mm-hmm. were cleansed. Mm-hmm. So why would these people be among the people? Nonetheless. The language Luke uses, or at least the language the English translators use here, is leprosy. And when Jesus saw it, uh, or when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Mm-hmm. Now, that that phrase, of course, has a lot, a lot to talk about. But yet again here, the leper doesn't say master. The mm-hmm. leper says Lord. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is a different word, but... Give it, your is, it is a uh, it, it leprosy was a it was and is a terrible disease and I I think uh, it, I I think we 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 can see that the, how the Jews viewed that I mean uh, the uh, you the the Jewish law said that you had that, that a a Jew had to stay six, at least six feet away from a uh, leper and they even went to the detail of saying that if the wind was blowing from the direction that a leper was in, that the Jew had to stay 150 feet away. So, and then rabbis, lepers were despised by the rabbis because rabbis viewed them, the Jewish rabbis viewed them, viewed leprosy as a judgment of God on these people. And so they felt like that they had done something horrible at some point in their life, that that leprosy was a judgment of God. So the very... We'll 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 get to this, but the very fact that that this this man uh, Jesus didn't didn't say, "Hey, would you like to be healed?" He, this man reaches out to Christ. He calls out to him, uh, and 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 he says, "If if he stretched out his hand, and and he's if you are willing, Lord." It's it's it is interesting to note that the man didn't say. Lord, if you have the power to heal me, you you can make me. He said, if you are well. He somehow knew, we don't know whether he had heard other accounts of Jesus and healing, but somehow he knew that Jesus had the power to do it. He wanted to know that he was willing to do it. That's interesting. It appears that in the previous accounts, um, in the previous accounts, God's... God's, um, foreknowledge God's you know his uh, his power these things are are evident the question is what's his compassion level it seems mm-hmm. the question is yes. what's his willingness to do this and so um, there are many people who get into a lot of debates on this kind of question here Lord if you're willing and and then people jump in and they say God's always willing and that you know none should be mm. sick and all of these things and that that that's a debate for another time but my but my point in in this text here is we have to keep our minds firmly rooted in this this hermeneutic that's a, an interpretive method this hermeneutic we are watching the story play out. We look back on it with hindsight and look at it and say, we know how the story ends and everything. What we have to remember is this this, uh, this leper doesn't know. He may have heard of Jesus and may have heard of wondrous things he's done. He doesn't know if he's willing. So this is, a, this is just a genuine sure. question. This is just a leper going, if you're willing, then mm-hmm. make me clean. And, and then... Boy, oh boy, is it is an amazing uh, Jesus's response. Yes. And he stretched out his hand and touched him. This is the leper to Jesus, or Jesus to the leper. And I yes. think it's the Jesus to the leper. I, I think so as well. Jesus is stretching out, and he touched him, saying, "I am willing. Mm-hmm. Be cleansed." And immediately the leprosy left him. Now that word, that language, "be cleansed," is really important. Yes. Be yes. cleansed. There's something more than just, he doesn't say be healed, that that happened, right? But he says be cleansed because there's there are these pictures of what is happening. And in leprosy, the Levitical law, which we're going to find out in the next verse, yes. is that one had to be deemed clean, yes. ceremonial, ceremonially clean. That's that's the point of all of this. Yes. No, that's exactly right. And I, I think... The, the fact that Jesus 
touched this man. He he could have <laughs> this this would have been totally against any any uh, 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 Jewish law, and would uh, would have been he he could have healed him without doing that. But there's I I I just see something in that that Jesus was willing to reach and touch this man that no one else would have been willing to do. I none of the none of the folks there probably were willing to touch that leper, but Jesus was willing to not he's he was not only willing to cleanse him and but heal to touch him, him, but he touched him. Yeah. I think I think the 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 full counsel of God's word is very helpful in this matter. So we we look to other gospel accounts, and if you're studying your Bible, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to find the story and its parallels in the other gospels, and I would encourage you to put them together. Mm-hmm. I would also encourage you to study the differences and see if there are trends in those differences. Let me point one out to you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, this same story is recorded, and here's what we miss in Luke's account. It says, moved with compassion, yes. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. That's why I believe the he in Luke is Jesus to him, because Mark seems to emphatically state it was Jesus mm-hmm. reaching out. But what we missed in Luke we find in Mark yes. is the compassion piece, right? He moved with compassion, stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Now, here is what I mean by trends. If you study Luke with any with any critical eye, what you're going to find is that in almost every one of these accounts, Luke removes the emotion of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He removes it almost every time, if not every time. Whereas Mark, which many many argue is the first gospel, it is the first recorded gospel, and it would have informed other gospels. Maybe, maybe not. The point still remains. Mark's gospel every time includes and moved with compassion. Matthew's gospel speaks of Jesus's emotion. And Luke... And this might be the physician side of Luke. It might be the the accurate account side of Luke. It might be the extremely detailed side of Luke that says, I don't want to get hung up in the emotions of this. I want you to see something. Jesus said, I'm willing. And he did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But these are the trends that are fun to see if you'll... If you'll be a little more critical of the text. You don't have to be critical in a negative way. You can be critical and say, oh, I'm spotting things I am tracking. There's trends here. There's, there's critical analysis that goes on in the it text. It is interesting to note the differences in some of the details that, that one writer gives and some others do not. In Mark, there again, we, we see in Mark that we find out that even though Jesus told this guy, and, and, and we're going to jump right into this, don't tell anybody, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering. That that there's a now, warning there. There is a warning, but but uh, Luke does not record that the man told anybody. Mark does, and in, in, in Mark one we see that that this leper told many people that that Jesus had healed him. So there again, like you've said, it is it is the it is the differences in the writing style, the differences of those that give some detail and some things like, you know, Mark seems to be a guy that wants to emphasize the compassion that Christ had when he did these acts. One of the arguments for Luke's style may in fact be that Luke is more concerned with people seeing the sheer power Mm -hmm. of Jesus as God, where Mark and Matthew may want to show his power, but they also want to show his compassion. And and those are great. That this is this is where um, Dr. Michael Heiser, wonderful scholar, uh, likes to use this phrase. He says the Bible is a divinely inspired human book. What does he mean by that? He 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 loves the the doctrine of inspiration. He believes that the Scripture is inspired. It is the Word of God. Um, but what is amazing is that. Nobody wrote the Bible, none of the writers wrote the Bible because they went into some sort of um, spiritual trance and and wrote uh, wrote down words. They were human beings who God worked through. And you see their personality mm-hmm. in their writings. You see what what captivates them about their Messiah, and all of it flows into inspired Scripture. So back to verse 14, and he ordered, well, 13 first, I love this, and immediately the leprosy left him. Yes. It was gone. Yes. 
Done. Everything yeah. is good. Okay. Later, we'll see healings of Jesus, and it says, and on their journey, they were healed on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there was a, a level of faith, or maybe there was something that Jesus was expect or de- desiring from them. Verse 14, and he ordered him to tell no one, okay? <laughs> but we don't know what this guy does. In Mark, we do. He, mm-hmm. he goes blabbing it about, because yes. apparently... Even in Jesus' day, people didn't listen to Jesus. Okay, so he says, But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. And that that has brought up a lot of question among scholars, which is to say... Um, what, what do we mean by the testimony? I just want to read you a brief piece of commentary um, I'm not familiar exactly yet what this, I can't remember what commentary I'm using right now. It doesn't matter. Um, let me read this to you. It says, uh, as a testimony to them, so it's commentary on that line. This can be understood in several ways. The to them can refer to the priests or to the people. So let's read that. Read that. Um, a, uh, he, he commanded... Um, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So who is the them in this? Some say it's the priests. Some say it's to the people. If it refers to the former, that is the priests, it is for a testimony to show that he was healed. If it is if it refers to the latter, it is for a testimony to Jesus's power. In the original setting, Jesus probably meant the former due to what had been said earlier in the verse. But in Luke's setting, the latter aspect clearly plays a role. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is most likely this testimony is to those priests. Yes. The man already saw the power of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, but now the, the priests need to go... Oh, mm-hmm. this is real, mm-hmm. and and it will we'll see it as it begins to intrigue the the higher ups as Jesus keeps moving. So they had a they had a duty now to perform. Once he once this man went to the priests, there is Levit, Le, uh, Levitical law that that they had to perform the ceremony when one had been healed of leprosy. So they had to almost uh, certify this, if you will. This had to be, this had to, and, and a sacrifice, as Jesus said, is that go, go and make an offering for your, for your cleansing, just as Moses had commanded. So these guys were not only going to see that Jesus had done this, I, 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 there's no doubt that these priests would have said, wait a minute, how did this happen? If they hadn't already heard, heard of it by this time. So he would have certainly told them that would have been, I think you're right in that it is a testimony to them, but then they had to certify this healing. They had to, they had a, a ceremony to perform, uh, according to the law. They could not, could not deny this, could not deny. They had to perform a ceremony that said this actually happened. This was real. So it puts them in a very interesting spot. It's fun to see the subtle ways Jesus backs, the leaders yes. into a corner yeah. with which is, their own with law. their own problems exactly. So then, verse fifteen, but the news about him was spreading even further. I, I think we understand why, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And I do love that combination. They wanted to hear him. He spoke as one with authority and to be healed of their sicknesses. Verse sixteen, but Jesus himself would often slip away. That word "often" is not in the original Greek, but it. it it, it is implied because of how many times we see it okay. throughout the text. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So he's back in this place where he's with his father, um, and he is and he is calling out. They, that that term can be literally translated desert places. Okay, so mm-hmm. he would slip to the desert places. Verse seventeen. One day. He was teaching, and there was some, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And I love this line: "And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing." Now, most people would look at this and say, "The power of God is present in Jesus all the time," but there is a stress that Luke puts on this yes. idea that that. 
hearkens us, uh, in my in my view of it, it hearkens us back to Jesus's baptism. Jesus is baptized. He is obeying his father. This is something that he must do. And the spirit descends upon him. Josh's question from earlier uh, in the in the former, something that looked like a dove and he descends upon him and it, he is endued with power. I mean, he, he is God. He has power. And then there's this unique situation. So uh, it's definitely something to be debated and talked about. But right here, we see the, the, the writer say the power of the Lord was present for him mm-hmm. to perform healing. To perform healing. And it's very interesting there again. He is, he is uh, fulfilling prophecy that, he, that, that the Savior would heal. He would heal. And we, that's, it talks about that. Isaiah uh, 35 talks about the fact that he would heal. And, but I, I, I think it's an interesting note uh, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, just it, it's, it's almost ominous to hear that there were, they, they were sitting there, it says. They were just sitting there. I, I think there was a lot more going on in their head than that. But that, but what an what an interesting note. He, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. Yeah, and we're going to see their we're going to see their intent in a little there's bit. There's more to the story. <laughs> Absolutely. So the power of the Lord is present for him to perform healings. And verse eighteen, and some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And uh, so we've moved from the leper to the paralytic, and they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of him. Um, so th- th- their faith is, we got to get him to mm-hmm. King Jesus. We got to get him to this. They didn't maybe know him to be the king yet, but they want to get him to Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him. They improvised. (laughs) So because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd, smack dab in the front of Jesus. And the homeowner said, what did you do to my roof? No, of course, we don't see that in the text. I've got to call my insurance company. We don't see that, but but it's definitely a question we would all be asking. Right, and and then this is the key line: seeing their faith, he yeah. said, "Friend, your sins are forgiven you." Notice this: it does not say seeing his faith. Right. It says seeing their faith, and so what we conclude from this is it's it's, it's the man who needs healed, and it's his friends. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing, amazing idea, mm-hmm. especially. And I'll just go ahead and open the can of worms. Yeah. But Especially when we hear people's incessant approach to healing and saying, well, it always is a matter of not having enough faith. That's why a person wasn't healed. The question in this case is, the question, the philosophical question that arises is, whose faith matters? Absolutely. And in this, Jesus recognizes the faith of others in this. So. At some point, somebody had to have faith for this guy, and Jesus was pleased with it. Mm-hmm. So when we're dealing with these issues of whether or not God is going to heal today, or why or why not he does, you know, why or why not somebody gets healed, um, the, the, the challenge is, although faith is clearly something that God calls us to, if it's not done by faith, it's sin, uh, we've got to be uber careful in our in our assessment of why a thing happened or didn't happen. In my estimation, when we're quick to point the finger, we're doing the same thing the Pharisees did when when we say, whose sin was it that caused this man to be born blind, his or his parents? Sometimes we're going, whose lack of faith was it that, that prevented this person from being healed, theirs or theirs? Sometimes the answer is, it's not that. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not that at all. So, I, I, I love the term in verse 20. He says, seeing their faith. Now, it makes me wonder, did he see their heart and s- saw their faith, or was it their actions? I think he saw a hole provide? in the roof. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I think, <laughs> I think there, was a, there, were, there, were, there were actions that, were, that seemed to be associated with their faith. Now, there's no doubt he could have looked into their heart and known whether they had faith or not. He knew that anyway. But, but seeing their faith, 
I, I think the fact that Luke says that, I, I, I don't know that Luke has, has been the one to say a lot of times Jesus knew their heart. He just says, Luke records, seeing their faith. So it would lend to the fact that he saw the actions that these friends were doing. They, they, they put their faith in action. They, you know, tore a hole in the roof and yeah. lowered the guy down. And this, all of this falls right in line with the whole counsel of God's word. What is faith according to mm. the scripture? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, hold on a second. We've just landed that faith has substance. But the question is, what is the substance? It is the acts that you do. It is the life that you live. It is the steps you take in light of the hope you believe in, even when you don't mm-hmm, see it. Mm-hmm. So, and and not because you're crossing your fingers or jumping that the net will appear, but because God has made a promise and yes. you believe that promise. So, so faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, and then the other line says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. In my life, I am walking after Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life. People will know me by my fruit. Uh, this is evident in my life, even though they still see... Same old Nathan at times. Mm-hmm. They see a human being that has not gone through transfiguration or, mm-hmm. or resurrection, but there's an evidence of that which is unseen. I am a child of God mm-hmm. because of what he has done. Um, another piece of this, and again, Luke was careful not to include the emotions of Jesus. Uh, it's a pity that the English translators don't follow suit with Luke. Maybe they don't catch it. The word here, uh, seeing their faith, he said, the word is not rightly translated, friend. It It is anthropos, which is man. Yeah. <laughs> right? It simply says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, he was not Bill and Ted, right? He's like, right. man, dude, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that's not it either. <laughs> but it simply is, he recognizes this individual for what he is. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Um, now, this is where the trouble starts, yeah. right? This is where Jesus, Jesus has been doing really well. Mm-hmm. Everybody's praising him. And all of a sudden, we take this crazy shift towards, now I'm in hot water with people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Look at that line. Yes. Who is this man? <laughs> who does he think he is? I, I love that. And then, who speaks blasphemies? Yes. yes. Why is that a blasphemy? It, it, it is, you know, in, a, in an odd way, everything they said, and I'm going to add, because they said, Who can forgive sins but God yep. alone? In a really odd way. They spoke the truth right there. If if someone other than God yep. says I can forgive forgive sin, it would be a blasphemy. But and then they said, who can forgive give sins but God alone? That's exactly right. No one can. It, and by their own words, the scripture says own, yes, they condemn yes, themselves. Yes, right? They, yes. they impugn themselves. And he said, but but Jesus, it, it's twenty two says he is aware of their reasonings answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? And here's an interesting, oh, the, the whole, this, this thing is very complicated. Which is easier to say, your sins have been forg- forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Now, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. Because if I think about that, if I really just put my mind to that, I would say, okay, if, if, if for us to see someone that, has been healed, we would know it because we could see that they were it's healed. Evidential. It's it's evidential. But the sin's gone. Well, now first of all, the the two that immediately would know that would be God and the person whose sins have been taken away. And and and, and so so I I would answer that and say, okay, maybe maybe healing is easier. I don't know because it's easier for people to to see and to actually believe. But but then but then he he brings it back to them. He says, "But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." And then he turns to the paralytic. He said to the paralytic, "I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home." Yeah. Wow. This this whole piece is is 
it's just intense. Number one, number one, the reason why they say who speaks, who is this man who speaks blasphemy is because they thought he was a mere man. Of course, God, Jesus is 100% man. He's 100% God in this uh, incarnate place here. But they only saw him that way and their natural, their hearts were in, this guy is claiming to be God because God alone can forgive sins. Then Jesus proves his, uh, he proves his deity. He proves himself in so many ways. Number one, why are you reasoning in your hearts? He gets to the motive. He's smart. Now that could be done. Maybe you could do that as a very wise or shrewd person that you can, you can understand the intent of some people's hearts. But I think there's more going on here with Jesus. I think he can read their hearts. Mm -hmm. And then verse 23, which is easier to say, we both know that if you look this up in the Greek, both are complicated to say, yes. <laughs> which is easier to say. He's not dealing with an issue of language here. He's dealing with exactly what you said. I think it's. I think it is the right way to see this. If you say, "Be healed in the name of Jesus," which you know people try to do all the time, here's the problem. Lots of people don't be healed in the name of right. Jesus. And then people go, "Why don't you pipe down and go back to your corner?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And they throw a fit about this. And he says, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, it's far easier to say your sins are forgiven because anybody can make this up. Mm -hmm. Nobody can see it. Mm -hmm. But if I say, if I say to you, get up and walk, we have a moment of reckoning. Yes. Somebody has to do something they couldn't do before. And so... Jesus, like you just pointed out, Jesus says, okay, let's make sure you know that I'm serious when I say his sins are forgiven. Watch this. Yes. Pick up your stretcher and go home. And this paralytic man stands up and everybody in that place has to be shocked or infuriated because they're either found out to be uh, not not with God, or uh, they are amazed by this. And of course, what we see is an immediate uh, uh, glory from the person healed, because that's always the case. Immediately, he got up before them. Remember what it said about the leper? Immediately, his leprosy was gone. Here again, immediately, he got up before them. This isn't like modern day healings. People tell you to exercise it and work it out and try to get better on your own. No, immediately, he gets up before them. He picks up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying Glorifying God. God. He's praising God, which is an amazing thing. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Yeah, that's the they, understatement of the year. They that's, saw forgiveness of sins. They, yes. They, were, they had seen something. There, there again, it goes back to what we talked, the same thing we talked about with the, with the leper. Those, the Pharisees, teachers of the law that were there, they could not deny this. They no. could, they might deny, they could say, well, anyone can walk out there, as you've said, and say, oh, I forgive your sins. They don't know if the sins are gone or not. Absolutely. But they couldn't deny this. No. They couldn't deny the man getting up, picking up his bed and going home, Absolutely glorifying not. God. So I actually want to amend the last statement I made. And then I want to, to tell everybody that, that we have a ton of stuff to get through in verses 27 through 39. And what we're going to do, because we realized very quickly, there's no way we can get through three chapters. We can't even get through this chapter <laughs> in an hour because there's such amazing things happening. So what we're going to do is throughout the week next week, we're going to pick up on the chapters that we were off on so that we can, one, give ourselves a rest tomorrow and that Sunday can be solely dedicated to uh, to the message and the people uh, that we are celebrating with on Sunday. And then we'll pick back up on the podcast on Monday. But here, here's the statement I want to amend here. Um, it says, they were struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. And I said, they saw the forgiveness of sins. I actually don't think that this is true. Here's the better thing that happened here. Um, Seeing the forgiveness of sins or seeing the miraculous, what really happened here was they saw God. Mm. 
the fear of the Lord came over them because Jesus, who is claiming to be the one who can forgive sins, i.e. God, just made himself known. The truth is, it's not in either or of his great works here. It's in the person of who he is. They were, they stood in amazement because they realized, in my view, they realized they had seen God. Yeah. He is who he claims he to be. He was who he said he was. Powerful. So we're going to pick up on this on Monday. Uh, I, I hope you guys are enjoying this. Again, there's so much that we can uh, we can talk about, and we want to talk about the observations or the questions or the ideas that you guys are having. So please feel free to send us an email, piercepoint at gmail.com or nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com. Barney, what's your email address? They can Barney send that Estes to you. at yahoo.com. Barney Estes at yahoo.com. And, uh, and keep, keep giving those comments on the YouVersion Bible. If you're not a part of the YouVersion group, uh, get on there, find us as a friend, um, and we will invite you into that, that group. So uh, that being said, have a great day, church.